Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 59, if you would. Isaiah 59. We're going to start in a little bit of an unfamiliar place, and then we'll move to one that's much more familiar. Mark chapter 4, but don't go there yet. Isaiah 59. Life at peace. Hmm. You know, this is, uh, 2023 is the, into 2024, is the 20th year of my marriage. Of our marriage. And it has probably been the hardest year that we've ever walked through together. Every year you grow and change, true? But some years are life-changing. They're life-transforming. And I can point to five or six different things in the last calendar year where God has done some deep work in this guy because I needed it. And God's done some work in us that we've needed. And if I were to sum a number of those things up together, they, they tie into this theme of living at peace. And, and it has quite literally, for me, changed the way that I wake up every morning. And so this week and next week, I just want to give you a little bit of some thoughts there, what God has been teaching me, and I hope that it will be a help to you. The theme of peace is all throughout the Bible, right? We, we imagine the Garden of Eden as a place of just complete peace where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening, the Bible says. The people of Israel offered something called the peace offering. We think about in the book of Numbers, Aaron's great blessing that God's people would have peace, which, by the way, is a much deeper thing than just a feeling. It's actually a wholeness of life a health, a rest. Remember how Jesus said it? Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. But boy, that's hard to find, isn't it? I mean, we live in such a frantic world. A world full of sin and a world full of storms. And you know what's really cool? It's in this place that Jesus offers us his peace. You can't find it anywhere else. You can't get it on your own. But Jesus offers you his peace. Let's pray and we'll look at God's word together. God, would you multiply your grace and your peace to us? Lord, left to ourselves, we're in trouble. We're sinners who need your forgiveness. We're strugglers who need your help. Our energy is small. Our resources are limited. We cannot do this alone. Without you, we can do nothing. So God, would you guide us from your word? Would you draw us into your peace, a peace this world cannot give? Would you cause it to be ours? Some, some maybe for the first time this morning and some of us, that we would live in it day by day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the big idea this morning is pretty simple. In a sinful and stormy world, Jesus offers you real peace. It's kind of interesting. New Year's is the time when our society talks about setting goals and objectives and vision and da-da-da-da. And if you think about it, we live in a world that's always like, push, 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 do more, be more, accomplish more. 
right? It's kind of the American dream. You can have it all. That's a lie. And so my hope this morning is that you hear the voice of Jesus to your soul, peace, be still. Peace is possible. Do you believe that? Why does living at peace seem so impossible? Why are our souls so restless, right? Why are we so agitated? Why are we so unsatisfied? Why are we so discontent? Isaiah 59. I want to walk through the first 13 verses here in about five or 10 minutes. I just want to make some notes as we walk through them. But part of the reason why living at peace seems so impossible is because our sin destroys peace. Look at Isaiah 59. This is on page 618 if you're using one of those Bibles in the chair rack. By the way, if you'd like to have that Bible for yourself, take it. It's yours. Uh, We'll restock it. We're happy to do that. Isaiah chapter 59. Listen to God's word. Behold, the Bible says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. What do those verses teach us? Is God the problem? When we lack peace, when our lives are unsettled, when we can't, you know, seem to be in a wholesome place, it's not God's fault. There's a few points here we'll walk through, but the first is this, God's ability is not the problem. It's not that he can't save. It's not that he can't hear. It's not that he's ignoring you. It's not that your sin is so great that you're like past the realm of God being able to help. God is not the problem. Look at verse three. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Sin is all over us. Our hands cause harm. You see that? There's blood on our hands. You say, I've never killed anybody. You've harmed people. Your decisions and choices, your gossip, you have blood on your hands just like I do. We harm other people in our actions. Our lips speak lies. We've created a category, right? Little white lies. They're the not bad lies. But when it's to our advantage, we're prone to exaggerate. We're prone to put down other people, speak evil of other people so that people be more impressed with ourselves. I do that. James says, if you don't sin with your mouth, you're a perfect person. Parents, your words ever gone to a place they shouldn't have gone to? Mine have. When I have to have this little conversation on this level, right? Hey, buddy. Hey, dad got really upset there and I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Our relationships are broken. Verse four says we we take each other to court. We don't even do it honestly. Sin is all over us and sin produces awful results. Look at verse five. These next couple verses are the things nightmares are made of. Anybody have arachnophobia? Any spider haters out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got some. I'm not a spider hater. Bees are kind of my thing. Don't like bees. I had a really bad experience as a kid. 
I'll tell you that story sometime, but um, I'm terrified of bees. Even the kind that won't sting you, I'm convinced they will, and I'm, I might die from a stinger this big. <laughs> but look at these next few verses. Snakes and spiders, all the best things. This is the picture of what our sin does. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from the one who is, that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Besides catching little bugs, a spider's web is no good to weave anything out of. The consequences go on. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. Verse 8, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Verse 9, therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in the gloom. Doesn't this describe our society? Maybe this describes your own life in some ways. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. Verse 11, we all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice. We hope for the world to do right, but there is what? None. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. This is the weight of sin. And guess what? All of us in this room are guilty as charged. God knows it, and we know it. I was meeting with a couple that just joined recently, and they were, we were talking about the value of commitment to a local church. And the husband said, and as part of that conversation, he said, you know why we want to become an official part? We want to join Gospel Hope? He said, because I know the darkness of my own heart. And the more people I have around who can keep the light on me and help me, the better it will be for me. We live in a messy world, don't we? Some of it happens to us. Some of it's hugely bigger than us. And some of it's right in our world. I say this on a regular basis, but you know what one of the biggest problems that gospel hope is? Because I'm a sinner and I struggle and I do knuckleheaded stuff. See, some of us need to stop thinking that if just certain people in our lives were fixed or certain circumstances were fixed, we would have peace. We live in a sinful world and it makes messes everywhere. 
said, but at least I'm better than other people. Then you lie to yourself. You are proud. Say, I got it figured out. No, you don't. You need verse one, the Lord's hand that can save. The Lord's ear that can hear. Romans 3.10 says it really simply, there is none righteous. No, not one. And the sooner we get that, the sooner we can know God's peace. John Newton famously came to Christ after being a slave trader, and he wrote the, he wrote the hymn that most of us know, Amazing Grace. And he observed after many years of walking with God, that the further along the road he went, the more he was aware that he was a great sinner and that Jesus was a great Savior. But it's not just our sin that destroys peace. There's that verse that was in the middle. It's also life's storms. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Why are we unsettled? Why don't we live at peace? Well, a lot of it is our sin and the sin of people around us. But Mark chapter 4 tells us that there's something that steals our peace and that's the storms of life. Now we go from a place that's not that well known to a story that's very well known. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus has just been teaching. If you look back in the chapter, you see the parable of the sower, some other things he's been teaching about not hiding the truth, how the mustard seed grows. Verse 35 says this, On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Simple thought. Don't forget that four of these guys were fishermen by trade, so they were very comfortable doing this. The tax collector, my namesake, might not have been as comfortable, but the fishermen were on it. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Jesus just finished teaching. He's like, I'll get in the boat. And other boats were with him. Lots of people want to see where Jesus was going. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking in the boat so that the boat was already filling. They were bailing water, but they couldn't get it out as fast as it was coming in. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, taking a nap. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing. Life is full of storms, isn't it? This is a powerful picture. The Sea of Galilee is actually known for these abrupt storms that would come up, right? The bluffs that are there and the way the terrain is, they would have these violent storms that would happen. Uh, Colleen and I experienced a violent lake storm the first time we camped on Bear Lake. Anybody else been to Bear Lake? It's a beautiful place. Who loves Bear Lake? This is a very Utah thing. Who loves, yeah, yeah, that's good. You don't have to be ashamed. Beautiful place. It ain't the ocean, but it's a beautiful place. <laughs> beautiful spot. First time we were on Bear Lake, we, we decided we would tent camp. Although I observed something when we set up our tent camp. We were the only ones tent camping. That should have been a warning to us. Well, we were kind of on the one corner of the lake, and we set up our tent. We had like our little shelter house. You know, you cook in and over our picnic table or something. And we, we hadn't been here long. I mean, we've been here just a bit. By the way, this is number two. That's bothering you. Just lost the number there in the transfer. <laughs> Can count even on December 31st. 
we're really trying to get you to think about the first. It's coming. So we set up our tent camp, and then um, we stayed the first night. It was nice. The second night, we did a drive. We drove out around the lake. It's not huge, but it's a decent drive to drive all the way around Bear Lake. And we got all the way up to the corner that was opposite where our tent was. And a storm blew in. A Bear Lake storm. And that thing was whipping, and you could feel the wind. And even on that little lake there, you're starting to get some waves. It's getting choppy. And, I, and then I had this thought, oh no, my tent. And we drove back, and it took us probably 25 or 30 minutes of fear to drive around the lake. And by the time we got back to our tent, um, our little shelter house was no more. The legs were this way, the tent was this way, it was just torn, to, it was like wrenched to bits. Our neighbors had like dropped down our chairs and done the neighborly thing to care for us. And then I'll never forget, Colleen and I, dro- we dropped, our tent was, re- it was moving, it was brand new actually, we just got this new tent and it's moving like this. So we're in true marriage form, yelling at each other, <laughs> you know, because our tent is more important than our marriage at that point. And Tim is scared. We're trying to drop the tent in the, in the wind. It's a whole adventure. And uh, good news, our tent survived. We did not. We left Bear Lake that afternoon, got a hotel in Logan, and regrouped. <laughs> but if you've ever been in a big storm, that's where these guys were. And that's how life is, isn't it? Jesus said, and I think it's John 16, in the world, you'll have tribulation. And it could be health, could be finances, could be a job, could be a relationship, could be a whole bunch of little things piled together, couldn't it? Life is full of storms. And the interesting thing, right, is that the storm is just not, not just happening outside these guys, it's also happening inside them, isn't it? They're scared to death. And I think in our culture as Americans, there's actually another layer of storms that we probably don't think about enough. Anybody ever feel this way? Can anybody resonate with this picture? This is a picture I found when I searched for anxiety. And we may look placid on the outside. We may look calm out here. But it's just spinning. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Certainly part of it's sin part of its trials and struggles that we go to, but I don't know if you've ever thought about the culture that we live in. Do you know, I think, an unintended consequence of all that we have, and even the American dream to some degree, is that we live in a storm we don't even notice. Everything that you're a part of in life wants you to be the best. Have you noticed this? We live in a constant state of competition So now you've got to be an awesome person at your work. You've got to be an awesome family member. You can't miss a family gathering. Your health and fitness and wellness needs to be awesome. You need to be an awesome parent, an awesome husband or wife. We've got these bars in our society, and you're supposed to achieve every one of them. And then people post all their pictures of their life achieving those things but it's a facade, isn't it? Because none of us are actually that awesome at everything. We all have strengths and skills. We all have things that are going well and things that are not going well. 
But we live in this world of more and more and more and more. And if you're not careful, it will actually turn from an incredible opportunity to a crushing load. Do you feel that? I feel it. More is not always better, is it? A few weeks ago, Tim went to a birthday party. Some of you have heard this story. He went on Sunday to a birthday party with friends and they gave him a green Gatorade water bottle. You seen those? Like the football players have them, athletes have them. He loved it. Like second grade boys with their own, you know, Utah Jazz water bottle. 32 ounces. And he'd been sick a little bit that week. We got him back to school on Thursday. And Colleen called me at noon on Thursday. She said, Matt, you need to come. She's working that day. She goes, Tim just threw up at school. You know that feeling when a kid's been out sick and you finally got him back into school and then he's, ah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's awake. I'll take it. (laughs) This is so peaceful. I'm going to take a nap. I picked him up. He didn't look too bad. But I'm like, what happened, buddy? He goes, I drank three of these. What? I had, he weighs 62 pounds. I'd sent him with half a water bottle of water. And it turns out a few of his buddies, because boys are idiots, <laughs> even little ones, had decided that if some water's good, more is better. And they decided to see if they could drink a gallon of water over the course of the school day. I said, Tim, what do you mean three water bottles? He goes, three of these, Dad? 90 ounces. The kid drank 96 ounces of water between like 8.15 and 11.30. No wonder he threw up. No wonder we had to stop multiple times on the drive home at gas stations for bathroom breaks. I said, are you doing this with anybody else? He goes, oh yeah, two of my friends. Henry's on his fourth water bottle. I called the school. (laughs) More is not always better. And we've got a culture that's yelling more, 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 more. That football team's got to win the state title. You got to put in the forced overtime. You got to be at everything and do everything and be everything to everyone. And it is crushing. And then on top of that, we live in a society where it's always noisy. There's always music playing. There's always things in our ears. There's always... It's hard to live at peace. Mark chapter four, just a little bit back. Jesus is like, this is not a good way to live life. It's thorny, those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things, choke it. You get buried. So is living at peace actually possible for us? Or are we like this guy just trying to plug every hole there is? Or like the disciples tossed in the storm. Their boat was not that nice, but it's a good picture. The great news of Mark 4 is that peace is possible. Not by fixing everything or figuring everything out, but because of the one who's in the boat, right? Verse 39, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, what? Peace. Be still. I kind of want to know how he said it, don't you? Did he go like quiet parent? Some of you have a quiet parent. 
You're good as long as they're talking on a normal voice, but if they get quiet, it's bad. Do you say, peace, be still. Do you say, enough, quiet. By the way, that's what these two words mean. It's kind of like, hush, <laughs> be quiet. And what happens? And I want to encourage you this morning that if you know Jesus, you can hear these words from him just like that crazy sea did. In the midst of the storms, in the midst of the crushing load, in the midst of a, in the midst of a sinful world, Jesus offers real peace. The kind of peace that Philippians 4 says is perfect, or Isaiah 26 says perfect peace, Philippians 4 says, peace that passes understanding. How? We'll finish with this. Jesus offers eternal peace with God. Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to figure out your own way to God. I'll tell you, you won't get there on your own. You won't fix your own sin problem. You won't make yourself right with God by giving a certain amount, by serving a bunch of people, by being a better person, by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, by keeping all the commandments. All you'll find out if you try to keep all of God's laws is how sinful you are because that's what God's law does. It exposes our own hearts. But listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross, right? He was offering us a way of forgiveness and mercy and peace. But it goes further than that, and I think this is where we struggle. Jesus actually offers you and me internal peace every day. Do you know you don't have to wake up with that churning? You don't have to live restless? You don't have to try to plug all the holes and fix all the things? Because that's the lie we tell ourselves. If I could just get through this storm, I'd be okay. If I could just plug all these holes just right, I would have peace. One, you can't ever do it. And two, even if you did, you'd find out it wouldn't satisfy. Jesus offers you internal peace. Listen to John 14, verse 27. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So is this world peace? Nope. This is you peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, this is a personal peace that can only be found in him. You say, well, well I'm just the anxious type. What would you say if someone said, well, I'm just the angry type? Well, I'm just the greedy type. Well, I'm just the lustful type. You may have a bent that direction. We all have sins that are natural to us that we struggle with, but they're all still wrong. And there's always a solution. So I'm just the fearful type. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You say, well, that's not a real promise. It, oh, it 100% is. 
It absolutely is. If you know God and walk in his ways and follow him, there is a place of rest for your soul. Every day. And listen, nobody lives in it perfectly. Because <laughs> we all sin and struggle. But it's a real thing. And what I'm afraid is that some of us have come to believe that we can have eternal peace with God, but we can't actually have daily peace. Do you know what the New Testament letters say over and over again? Grace and peace. We need it. We need it with ourselves. We need it in our relationships. We need it in our world. Do you know God's peace? Do you need God's peace? I do. Or maybe there's a specific place in your life right now that you can point to and go, I don't have any rest there. That thing is too broken. It's not. The Jesus who told the storm to quit it is the Jesus who offers you and me his peace. And it's not in fixing the things outside of us. It's not in just getting through that next thing. It's actually a daily rest for your souls that God offers you in the middle of the mess. Let's pray together. God, would you help us to believe this? Would you help us to believe your word that we can live at peace, that we can have our sins forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can have daily peace through the presence of the one who is in the boat, the one who gave his life for us, the one who sent his spirit to be with us each day. Lord, we confess that that, that is not an experience that we, we walk in all the time, but would you help us? Would you grow us? Would you change us? Would you do something in us through your word, through this truth that we could never do for ourselves? And may you make gospel hope a church family of peace together, not ignoring sin or problems, not, not having hard conversations, but actually of peaceful souls. Thank you for our guests who are here. May your word serve in their hearts as well. This morning we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.